Hello everyone, my name is Michelle Clark and I'm the First Impressions and Nursery Coordinator here at Eastside Church. And I just wanna thank you for checking out this week's message. If you have a story you'd like to share, we would love to hear that. Email us at info at eastsidechurch.tv. And if you'd like to give online, you can do so via our website, it's eastsidechurch.co. And now, please prepare your heart for this week's message. Knowing that Man, it's so important to pay attention to detail when it comes to the things of God. <laughs> I guess it's, sometimes it's um, not fair being behind the scenes, but I've got to talk about this just a little bit. I think I talked about something in the first service that was different based on what Brandon was talking about. But we just watched something that was absolutely transformational, and you might not even have known it, but there was tremendous struggle in the first service with worship. It was just the, the team and the pe pe people struggled to the point, you know, you think it's easy for these guys sometimes, uh, you know, because they're gifted and they're talented. But you could do gifts and talents all day long, and it doesn't have an anointing. It just doesn't have it. And what brings the anointing is a surrendered heart. And what we witnessed was two very insecure people totally surrendered their heart and life and will to God to the point where he was able to pour through them in an absolutely incredible way. And he brought, he brought the anointing through them when they were scared that they couldn't even do anything close to doing it right. And it is so typical of the way we are in life, thinking that somehow we can manage with our own strength, failing and then losing confidence in our ability to actually do it when what it requires is a total surrender to God with everything that we are so that he can then show himself strong. And that's really what we're talking about with the message today. It's becoming the kind of people that can contain and house the presence of the Lord. Um, uh, we've been talking in a series over the last month, really, about Abraham and about the life of Abraham. And in the midst of that, I, on Wednesday nights, I've been going over spiritual gifts. Now, I need participation so that I'll know that I'm not talking to myself. Participation means actually raise your hand when I ask you to, and don't raise your hand if it doesn't apply. I mean, you don't just, you know, you know what I mean? Making sense, remember? <laughs> How many of you have seen the Wednesday night teachings on spiritual gifts? Raise, raise your hand with me. Okay, let me do it the other way. How many have not watched it online? Okay, you guys, if you're part of Eastside Church, need to watch those. They're spiritual gifts. There's one and there's two. You need to watch those. The reason being is it's all about being in relationship with Jesus. It has everything to do with being in relationship with Jesus. Now, when we start talking about that and we start talking about the life of Abraham, 
What I want you to understand is that it's not written down in this book so that we can intellectually understand what happened in history, even though we can get history out of the book of Genesis. What it's there for is so that you can watch God develop a relationship with the human being, begin to lead him on a journey that God has planned for him before the foundation of the world so that he can bring the seed of Abraham, the promise that God makes to Abraham to the whole world through Abraham. But Abraham is on this journey of getting revelation from God and learning how to understand God. Now, we can study that scripture and we can study it in a way that we're intellectually smarter about how Abraham actually uh, carried this out in history. Or we can look at it from another mind's eye, and that is that we want to actually discover God's intent of what he intended for mankind to have as a relationship with him. You see, he, what he's saying is, Abraham, you're the father of the one that I'm going to reveal, give revelation to, that my presence is coming upon you. And as my presence comes upon you, revelation's going to come, and I'm going to show myself to you more and more and more and more. And as you go along, you're going to discover more and more and more about me until the place comes where I do this incredible miracle in your life. And as I do this miracle in your life, then you're going to, uh, from that generation on, from generations on, all the blessings are going to come through you. Yes? And so he is saying to you and me, be thinking about this is how I want relationship to happen to you. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, everybody look at me, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, <laughs> It's amazing what happens when somebody walks in the room. If you're looking from this side, it goes, shook. <laughs> Wherever I might be. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which are discussed on Wednesday nights, talk about the spiritual gifts. Talk about the Holy Spirit being poured out. In the book of Acts, it's actually poured out for the first time. And in Corinthians, we talk about why it was poured out. First Corinthians 12 and 14, it talks about it was poured out for the good and for the profit of the church. Sounds like blessing, doesn't it? Sounds like the blessing of Abraham is the presence of the Lord. But this is what I want you to understand. That is the promise. That is the blessing. It's because no blessing comes to man except the presence of God. The presence of God brings the blessing. And it, it's not an Acts thing. It's not a New Testament thing. It happened in the Old Testament. And, and, and some of us, what we do is, we come to Christ, we have an encounter with Christ, we have revelation of Christ, and then we receive Christ. We have, we have this encounter. Maybe, maybe we just receive Him as our personal Lord and Savior. But there is a work of the Holy Spirit that fills you to overflowing 
to where you have begin to get revelation as you follow him that will give you information you shouldn't have. And that's called the spirit of prophecy. It's all over the scriptures. It's even Old Testament. In, in chapter 14, Paul says to you and me, you know, you pray mostly and diligently pursue the gift of prophecy. And so it's imperative as believers that we understand what that is. And this is what it is. I'm going to make it simple because we get, we get way complicated. It is God's presence in your life that gives you information you shouldn't have. That's bottom line all it is. Bottom line is, it's because God's in you, he's with you, he's revealing himself to you, and he's showing you things you shouldn't know. He's giving you information you shouldn't know, he's giving you creative ideas you shouldn't know, he's, he's pointing this out to you as a believer, and that is the blessing of Abraham. And you're seeing Abraham walk in that and teach us how to walk in that. Now here's the problem. Oftentimes... We are taught, and we taught in seminary oftentimes, that once you're saved, you've got all the Holy Spirit that you need. And that's just not true. It's not true. You need to be filled and refilled and refilled. In Acts, you can see where they were in the upper room. They got baptized in the Holy Spirit. There was 120 of them. And then a couple chapters later, you see the same thing. They get refilled again. It's just, I mean, and they call out for it, and he does it. The place where they were, were shaking. And so there's this, there's this walk with God that we constantly need revelation from God, and it's all about his presence. In other words, once you're saved doesn't mean that the presence of God is going to continually be with you like he wants to be. You need to hear the second part of that sentence. He says he'll never leave you or forsake you because he's in you. But he wants to show you great and mighty things. He wants to use you to glorify himself. It hasn't changed in Chronicles where he says, the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for someone who is fully devoted to him so that he can show himself strong through that man and woman. He is looking for people, has always looked for people, found Abraham as somebody that was trustworthy, that was diligent, that had, that had expectation and would actually respond to what God was asking him to do. And when he found that person, he began to reveal more and more information to him until the place where he even showed him where they were going to be in prison for 400 years and that he was going to bring the promise later and prosperity wouldn't come for uh, 100 generations. He showed him incredible things that would happen way, way off in the future, including the Christ, Messiah. And Messiah shows up on the scene in, in chapter 17 and 18 of Genesis. There's Jesus in the New Testament. Yahweh shows up. Now the point I'm trying to make here is we can think that as history or we can, we can understand that God is trying to show us what he wants for you and for me. This is a relationship that he wants us to have with him. And he's saying, Abraham, got it? Paul says, it's yours. The blessing of Abraham is your blessing. What is it? The presence of God. And where the presence of God is, there's revelation. Now, here's the truth. 
In John chapter 7, Jesus, Jesus is uh, hated by the Jews, and they're, they're about to kill him. And, and his brothers don't believe. His brothers are saying to him, they're, they're mocking him, basically making fun of him, saying to him, listen, you know, why are you hiding out in secret? Why are you only doing this in little clusters behind the shadows, behind the scenes? Why don't you go ahead and go to the, to, to, to the tabernacle, to the, uh, the, the, the celebration of the tabernacle, uh, which is the Feast of Booths, he said, why don't you go ahead and go to that and show yourself to all your people and do all, your, do all the things you do in public. Quit, quit trying to do it behind the scenes. But it just said right before that that, the, that Jesus knew that the Jews were trying to kill him, and so he wasn't doing that, and he knew his brothers knew that as well, and they were, they were just agging him on. And it says right below that that the reason that they said that is because his brothers had not yet believed. And so once we have this encounter with the Holy Spirit, by the way, it's not just something that you do when you receive Christ. You, if you don't know or have experienced a personal encounter with Jesus where, uh, where, where you're in, in the Holy Spirit, where you have this um, miraculous encounter, you most likely haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that's what the seminary oftentimes teaches people is that, you know, if you, if you confess with your mouth, then you've got all the Holy Spirit you need. And let me just tell you something. You cannot have an encounter with, with, the, with the Creator God where He overflows and fills you all the way up to overflowing, which is what baptisms mean, and not know it. You can't take that by faith. Well, I, I never experienced anything with God, but I, you know, the, you know, I'm, I'm just going to believe that I have. You can believe it all you want, but you got to have an encounter with a holy God before it actually happens, and you'll know it. And here's the deal: once it happens, you won't be able to tolerate unrighteousness because it's His presence brings righteousness. So here's what happens. We have those encounters. Everybody following me? I'm going to cover some ground today. I'm just telling you right now. So we have these encounters with the Holy Spirit, and it overwhelms us. It overpowers us, right? And then we get all excited about it. We start telling our family and friends. And all our friends say, oh, my gosh, they're gone crazy. They done had a God experience, and now we, gotta, we can't hardly tolerate them. And they do all this kind of stuff, and we get discouraged, and it may, messes with our diligence and our expectation. We're not as diligent toward the things of God, and our expectation dwindles because of discouragement. But I just want you to know that Jesus dealt with the same thing. His brothers did not believe until he raised from the dead. And when he raised from the dead, they saw him raised from the dead, and they believed. Now, if you saw that, you'd probably believe too. But here's the point. They made fun of him and tried to get him killed or mocked him to send him to get him killed just one year prior to the fact where he said to 500 people, go wait in Jerusalem until the promise comes, the promise I gave Abraham, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of my presence on you. And only 120 of those 500 showed up. But here's the, here's the important news. 
all of Jesus' brothers showed up. And so here's what I want you to understand. Your friends may be and your family members may be mocking you now. But if you'll be diligent and expectant and you'll allow the Holy Spirit to come into your life and, and to penetrate everything you are. And if you won't be uh, swayed by unrighteousness and you stay stable and foundationally solid to pursue righteousness, right thinking and right doing in the ways of God. He says he'll bring his glory upon that. You'll begin to get information that you shouldn't have. You'll begin to see and read people's mail. You'll give that to them and they'll say, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, that because you can read their mail, they'll say, I know God's with them. Because there's no way they can have that information if God wasn't with them. Right? This is the story of Abram. This is what God is trying to teach you with the story of Abram. Let me, let me just let me show you uh, in the scriptures real quickly that this didn't this didn't just just pop up on the scene. It says in Acts, when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came, they, they began to prophesy. It says that again, just a few uh, chapters later, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came and they began to prophesy. It, it said that about every place in Acts that it happened. And then Paul writes to the church after the fact that pray that the presence of God come upon you and that you walk in the spirit of prophecy especially that you are able to get information that you shouldn't have lest God be with you. And when you do that, and when he does that, it gives you creative ideas, gives you solution, gives you wisdom beyond your years. That's what happened with the disciples. They said, who are these fishermen? They're not educated. How do they know all this stuff? It's because the presence of God was with them. It's because the spirit of prophecy was with them. He wants to be that with you. But look at it, what it says here in, in uh in Numbers chapter 11, verse 25, we think this is a New Testament deal. But in Numbers chapter 11, verse 25, what you've got here is Moses being consumed by the presence of God, the Spirit of God, in relationship with the Spirit of God, like he wants you to be in relationship with him, like the promise of God is for the church when it comes to Acts. And, and in that, Moses... Uh, has the Spirit of the Lord on him. And in this place, in, in Numbers chapter 11, it says that the 70 elders that were in charge, the administrators that were in charge of people of Israel, it says when they came into the presence of Moses, while he was in the, the presence of God, that God took the Spirit that was on Moses and put it on the 70 elders. Now you'll see that it says that it came upon them, but it didn't stay. When it comes to with a believer and is baptized, a believer is baptized by the Spirit, it stays. That's the difference. That's the promise. I'm going to send my Spirit out. I'm going to send my presence out, and it's going to come upon all people. Everybody who's willing, everybody who's waiting, everybody who wants it, it's going to come and it's going to stay. But on these 70 elders, it didn't stay. But when it came, what did they do? They prophesied. They prophesied. Same thing happened in Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, I think it is, 1 Samuel chapter 19, Saul is there and he's trying to kill David. And Samuel's with David 
and the anointing of God is in David. Now what you see about David is he prophesied all over the place in Scripture. He was foretelling of the Christ. He understood all that. He understood that God didn't want him to build the temple, that God he was, had revelation, that he was the one who gathers all the prosperous stuff, and he was going to pass it to the next generation. The next generation was going to do all this because he got revelation from God. He was in relationship with God. And it says about him and Samuel that he and Samuel were together and the presence of the Lord was all over them. And Saul was trying to kill him. And so Saul sends messengers to David and Samuel and the messengers go out, find out where they are. They get into their presence and when they come into the presence of David and Samuel, guess what happens? The Spirit of God that was on David and Samuel came on them and they began to do what? prophesy the people who Saul sent to kill David started prophesying and so he finds out about it and then he sends another group group two they get into the presence of Samuel and David what happened they start prophesying he goes what the heck then he says group three the third group shows up coming to the presence of God and what happens they prophesy. Why? Because the atmosphere and the environment that David and Samuel created, the Spirit of the Lord was upon them. And everybody who came in their presence prophesied. And God says in Corinthians that if we who are his people will pursue him, he's looking for somebody to pour on that can contain the presence of God so that those who come would actually begin to say, God is with them and begin to prophesy. So Saul says, <laughs> if these guys are going to do this mess, I'm going to go myself. So he finds out where David and Samuel are. Interesting thought now. The Spirit of God has already left Saul. It's in Scripture. The Spirit of God left Saul, and the anointing of God had moved to David. And Saul was being turmoil, torment. <laughs> Tormented, say it three times, tormented by an evil spirit. And that evil spirit commits him to kill David, and he's going after David. In that condition, Saul comes into the atmosphere in the presence of David and Samuel, <laughs> strips down naked before God. Now listen, he starts prophesying. I'm just glad that God only does things usually one time like that. You guys start stripping down naked and prophesying in the church. We're going to have to save some of us from some of that. <laughs> but here's the point. Here's the point. He spends all night slain in the spirit, naked, prophesying. And the people begin to say about Saul, the one who's Got the evil spirit. Is he, a, is he a prophet too? And the answer is no. But because he came into the atmosphere of those who had created an atmosphere of receptivity to the presence and spirit of God, you can't come into that and not encounter God. And God is saying about a church, a house, this house, that we need to be 
able to contain the presence of God where it can actually change a city. Don Potter was in Toronto this past week, and we watched it online, and he's talked about a small group of musicians who were experiencing the same kind of love of God that they did in Toronto and in Brownsville. And I don't know if he was talking about Eastside. I think he was. But even if he wasn't, I want to join that group of musicians, whoever it might be, and be a container of the love of God to the place where people are actually changed because of the atmosphere that we create, because we have an expectation, and we're willing to be changed by our God. We want righteousness. We're pursuing righteousness. So, that leads me, <laughs> in my introduction... To Genesis chapter 18. Now in Genesis chapter 18, the promise is talked about, you know, he, he, Jesus comes in the Old Testament. And I want you to look at it. It's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Jehovah. Jesus is there with two angels. He comes to visit Abraham and Sarah and begins to tell them about Isaac and and he and as as the revelation the prophetic word comes over these two they laughed right that just happened so jesus comes and he brings this news to them and he brings it to sarah and he also is coming to destroy sodom and gomorrah okay and he's got two angels with him so let's pick up in verse 16, chapter 18, verse 16. Then the men rose from there and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide for Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. So the answer is obviously God is, God is talking to himself because nobody else will listen. No. God is talking to himself. That was supposed to be funny, but it wasn't. That's what I do when nobody... No. Ha, ha, ha. Thank you so very much. So, so, so Jesus is saying this, and it says this, and the Lord said... No, excuse me. Uh, verse 19. He said, for I have known him in order that he may command his children. Now, in, in, in John, Jesus is asked a question, what is eternal life? And Jesus said, to know the Father and his Son, to have intimate relationship. And Jesus says about Abraham, for I have intimate relationship with him. I have known him. He has eternal life in order that he may command his children, number one, say command my children, and my household, that's your sphere of influence, and my household, that they may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice. To Say that with me. To do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to bring, that the Lord may keep his promise in you and through you because you are a recipient of the blessing of Abraham. We tracking? What's the blessing? 
The presence of God. The ability to have revelation from God. And the Lord says, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and because there is sin, their sin is very great, I'll go down there, and I'm going to see whether they've done anything according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from, from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. You look that up in the Hebrew, and that is, uh, that is Yahweh, Jehovah. He's standing before Jehovah, Jesus. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? And the answer is obviously, no. I'm not going to restore, destroy the righteous with the wicked. Suppose there's 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you, Lord. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right, do righteousness? So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sake. I'll spare the whole thing if there's 50 righteous people there. Then Abraham answered and said, indeed, now, now, this is where all the blessings coming through, all the blessings coming from Abraham. Abraham's begging. Abraham's interceding, right? Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed now, I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there are five less than 50 righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for lack of five? So he said, If I find there 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, Suppose there should be 40 found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for 40. Then he said, Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. So he said, I will not do it for 30. And then he said, Indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20 righteous people. Then he said, Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak just one more time. Suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10 righteous people. The whole place. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. Now here's the point. Here's the point. Sin was not the thing that destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. We always think of it in a negative context. Sin got the ear of God. God went to check out what sin did, whether it was really going on. Was it sin as deep as it was reported by his angelic hosts? And the answer was he, he, he discovered it. But what really killed Solomon Gomorrah and took it was an absence and a lack of righteousness. God did not find 10. And there wasn't enough righteousness there to turn the city to begin to pursue and agree with God. Every nation, every kingdom, every dominion on this planet ever who has fallen into sexual immorality, who has chosen the way of the pagan, who has put aside the righteousness of God has failed. Failed. 
because of the church's inability to influence a culture. God is looking for houses, churches, families that can contain his presence, that are willing to change like Abraham did, the way they live, the way they talk, the way they think, and the way they do things, to a place where they desire righteousness and justice with all their heart. And when he finds a place like that, his presence can rest, revelation can come. People will say, God is with that group of people, and that people actually has the ability to change the environment and the atmosphere around them so that when people come in that environment, they begin to prophesy. They begin to hear the voice of God. But it comes because there's a pursuit of righteousness, a willingness to leave what you've always known and do things God's way, a desire for just, justness, a desire to love like God loves, to think like God thinks, to do like God does, to handle your finances like God handles his, to in every aspect of your life submit to his way. He's looking for people who are willing to do that. And when he finds them, not that they do it perfectly, but they're being transformed. When he finds them, his presence can rest and he can change his city. That's our call. That's what we believe. We have a long way to go. We've come a long way, but we have a long way to go. We have a long way to go as people. We've got to examine our heart, know that that's what God wants to do. He wants to influence our family. He wants, he wants us to influence um, our, our sphere of influence, and he wants to influence generations to come. And he wants to do it because of surrender, what we just witnessed, and a passion to do what's right, to align with him. And you cannot work up the spirit of prophecy. You can't work it up. What works it up is the presence of God. It's the spirit of God. And when he comes, it comes. And you can't avoid it. So here's the challenge. Are you, anybody challenged? Here's the challenge. What kind of relationship does God really want with you? He wants the same relationship he had with Abraham. He wants you to understand him like Abraham did. He wants you to follow him like Abraham followed him. You know, what blows me away about Abraham? When Isaac was a young man, probably 14 or 15 years old, Jesus comes back to visit Abraham and says, I want you to go and take your son, your only son. He doesn't even recognize Ishmael as Abraham's son. He says, I want you to take your only son, and I want you to go to the mountain called Golgotha. He doesn't say it that way, but that's where he took him. 
I want you to take your son up there, and I want you to sacrifice him. And Abraham has such a vision about who God was and such a relationship with God that it said the next morning he left. He didn't pack the next morning. When God told him to take his only son to sacrifice him on the cross, he began to pack. Y'all need to watch me. He began to pack. When God tells you something, do you begin to pack? Do you begin to change what you're doing? Do you begin to change your thinking or do you just slide it off? Do you take it for granted? Do, do you just push it away? Do you say, maybe I can get to that next week. You know, I'm really busy. I'm really got this or really got that. Are you about God's business? You see, the character and the nature of Abraham is he stopped everything he did when God told him to do something and he began to pack. And it said the next morning he left. He was gone. He did what Abraham said, I mean, what God said do immediately. That was his nature. That was his character. Because we put God off, he doesn't speak as much. Because we don't listen and obey, he doesn't talk as much. Because he's going to give you revelation when you do and can be trusted with a little, he'll give you a lot. And there's got to be an atmosphere that Samuel and David created of worship and, and, and submission. As soon as David found out that he was the one that, that Nathan was talking about when he prophesied, somebody's taking this guy's only sheep. Well, I'll kill him. You're the man. Fell on his face. Repented. He could have killed Nathan. But David had a heart that said, I'm packing my bags and I'm repenting right this moment. When God made revelation to him what his condition was. The only way to beckon the presence of God is a surrendered heart that will obey what he says do. And in that atmosphere, people will say, they can read my mail. God's given them revelation. He's given them information that he shouldn't be given them. How did they know that? How did they pray that? You know, da-da-da-da-da. God surely has got to be with that group. And it can actually change to the point that if we get, like, you know, concentrated. This is what I, this is what I really feel like the Lord's called us to do. Get concentrated. What do you mean concentrated? I mean, get where most of you are like that. You know, you get really concentrated, and then the more concentrated you get, there people aren't going to be able to walk. You know, we hear it all the time, but I want to hear it more. People walk in the door, and they say, I can feel the presence of God is in that place. But I just want to see it more and more and more and more. And I can't produce it. You can't produce it except through surrender. Thank you, Bethany Wallace, for modeling surrender. in front of a crowd of people. So the challenge is, do you have a relationship with God like Abraham? Does God say about you, I, I know him, I know her, 
And so I'm going to give them this information because I can trust them. I can trust them to do with it what I intend. It's a different place. It's countercultural. It's not religious and it's not churchy. It's dropping your agenda, leaving your place of comfort, your place of familiarity, and saying, God, I want to obey you. I want to follow you. It's taking up your cross, your instrument of death, and said, I'm, I'm putting this on about my wants and my will, and I'm putting on yours, Jesus. Let's stand. Father, I thank you for truth. I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you, God, that you gave it to us and that you gave your promise to us, your presence, that would never be taken away so that we could walk in prophetic, so we could walk in prophecy all the day, every day as we pursue you, as we practice it, as we get good at it, God, as we are obedient, as we're surrendered and obedient in it, God, you give us more to the place where we're concentrated and our atmosphere is so changed that when people come in, even when they have agendas of division and destruction, they begin to prophesy. Father, thank you for a group of people who are hard after your own heart, who are charging after your own heart. I pray, God, for revelation of each one of our condition, starting with the pastor and going through everyone, because I know, God, without a shadow of a doubt, that you want to give me more revelation, more revelation of who you are. You want me to know you more, and I will not ever think, God, that I know all I'm ever going to know about you and that you're using me at the maximum capacity right now. Because, God, your desire is to bring glory to your name. That you could show yourself strong through a house so that we can change a city. Help us do that, God, I pray. By your presence, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Our prayer team is going to be up front. We're going to pray with you. Albert Cochran, is, I think he's in the house. We're going to do a testimony, a couple of testimonies on Wednesday night. Albert, we'll do that Wednesday night. Uh, fantastic testimony. God bless you. Our prayer team's up front. Get prayer. If you need healing, come get prayed for.